You're listening to the ModernDogTrainer.net podcast, bringing you the best industry tips and topics for professional dog trainers worldwide. Hi there. Welcome to the Modern Dog Trainer. I'm Ines McNeil, founder of the Modern Dog Trainer blog and podcast, and I'm here today with Kat Camplin, my co-host and blog contributor. Good morning. Show notes are found at the ModernDogTrainer.net. Feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Modern Trainer and on Facebook. Awesome. So, Kat, do you want to introduce who we have here today? Uh, I think she should introduce herself. (laughs) (laughs) With us today is Jennifer Shyrock, uh, and she's founder of a bunch of stuff. I was reading through, like, everything. Uh, Family Paws LLC is the current uh, itineration. Is that correct? Yep. Family Paws LLC is my local organization um, in North Carolina. And then we created Family Paws Parent Education, which is our more known international um, uh, program. Right. And dogs and storks and dogs and toddlers is in there somewhere. Yep. Those are the programs through Family Paws Parent Education. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. So, um, I guess, you know, general background in dealing with dogs, mm-hmm. what is your sort of training background Right. So I'm a certified dog behavior consultant. Um, I kind of grew up as a dog junkie. I grew up showing and training dogs way back in the 70s. I showed um, Cavaliers and Goldens um, in confirmation. Um, And then I also really love behavior just in, in general, behavior with anything. Okay. So like children, computers, just in general. Um, so my degrees in special education, I have, um, a dual degree. And then I also, um, spent a lot of time working with adults and children with a variety of different disabilities, um, and behavioral issues. And, uh, it's actually a wonderful combination in, uh, transitioning and back and forth. So growing up working with my dogs and having a mother who developed programs for children with autism, um, that's kind of my, my general background is, uh, communication and, uh, behavior stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, and what got you into it where you combined all those things? You know, it's funny. I always knew I would work with kids and dogs. I always knew that. Um, I said it always growing up, and that's what I wanted to do. They were both my passions. I actually had envisioned myself working more on the service dog side. Um, I myself am legally blind, so um, that was kind of a, a natural path that I thought I would end up leaning towards. I then was more intrigued with behavioral issues um, with children and adults and, and that kind of thing. And that's kind of pushed me into that aspect with dogs in my current career. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. This is not what I envisioned, <laughs> believe me, of what I'd be doing. Um, but it, it has worked into something really wonderful. And the reason I started it in 2002 was because, um, you know, as 
involved with German Shepherd Rescue and eventually president of GSD Rescue here, I saw so many people surrendering their dogs out of fear, out of mm. just not knowing what to do. They're having a baby or their aunt said or their grandparents said or their mother said or, you know, something that scared them. And there really wasn't a whole lot of information out there. And um, so the need for the program was there. And then I also, the other dreaded call is we've had a bite and usually to a younger child. So Mm. um, I've limited myself and I had a lot of people say, you're really restricting your area. And I said, yeah, I am. There's enough to do Um, in dog and baby, dog and toddler. But I'm so glad that I picked this niche. It's needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually my, my mentor down in uh, Dallas, Texas, Stacy Greer, she's uh, really starting to focus on the family dog and especially families with, you know, young children or, or babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's definitely looked into your program and I, I think she's part of it. Um, yes. And uh, she, she's loved it. So can you tell us a little bit about what you provide dog trainers now? Right. So what we do is we offer a licensed program um, we're not a certification that we have two programs that are licensed. The materials are licensed and, uh, those that are licensed family pause educators are able to use the material in any way that they, any way that they can to complement what they're already doing. Um, so we do like people to come to us with a fair degree of background, you know, background and behavior. We're, right. we're certainly open to, to newer trainers as well. But um, we definitely want them to have a starting point before they come to us. Um, and we have a 13-week foundations course wow. that goes through all the information um, as far as our program, why we recommend certain things we do, how we do things. We just updated our Dogs and Storks program. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> it it's really nice. And we're updating the dogs and toddlers. So it's a very collaborative collective community where we really sorry uh, that's my dog snoring um i don't know if that came through but um we really it came through to me um it we really want a cooperative collaborative effort versus competitive so we are we don't have exclusivity we just think this information is so important and we want the right people who are dedicated to this material um to get out there absolutely no that's awesome yeah. So you also have a support hotline, <laughs> which mm-hmm. to me is just like amazing. So how does that work? Yeah, that hotline is very important to me. Um, it works in that anybody who is in a situation um, is able to give us a call and we will triage in the moment. We get a lot of calls from frantic new parents who just are scared um, or their dog is reacting a certain way and they need some assurance. Um, We do have some educators who have mentored privately with me to do and handle remote consults. um, And sometimes that's necessary and something that's very helpful for these folks. Other, Other times it's just a matter of kind of talking them down, helping them to, to relax and let's give them some management immediately to set in place and then referring them out to one of their local educators if we can. Um, so again, if we don't have someone in the area, then I research someone in the area or 
we'll set up a remote consult when appropriate. Um, but yeah, it's very, I, I can't even tell you how many, you know, how, how effective and helpful it is. I had a really nice success story and feedback from um, someone that I supported about three years ago through the hotline. Oh, that's um, awesome. It, it made my day because she turned around and supported somebody else. And I was oh. like, you know, I just love that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, good work being done there. Ideally, originally when I set it up, I'll be honest with you, I, I expected a different kind of, um, I had a different vision for it. And that was that um, we really want rescues and shelters who get phone calls from families who are kind of going through a phase that I reference as the impulsive rehoming phase, which is a phase that um, many, even those of us professionals who have a baby sometimes feel like, oh gosh, I just don't have enough time. I can't do it all. I'm failing my dog. I, there's no way I can meet the needs of myself, my dog, my baby, my husband, my, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and just think they'd be better off somewhere else. They'd be better off with a different home, a different family that can give more than I can right now. And, um, so that's what we initially set that up for was for those folks um, and to try to get people to call us because when they're in that moment of, I just don't feel like I can give my dog everything, we're there to kind of validate the period in their life that they're in and help transition them and help guide them um, with support to the next step, the next day, the next – because I don't I, – it's, it's horribly sad when someone – um, says to me, we had a baby, we gave up our dog right. and they cry and they fall apart. And, um, I want to be sure. And there are times that people maybe do need to give up their dog. Maybe it's the right thing for the dog, but I want to be sure that they've done everything they can. So they have less regret if that is this decision that they come to after trying and getting support in other ways. So totally. that's, what we originally had set it up for, but you'd be surprised the calls we get. <laughs> wow. And you mentioned that a lot of people will give up their dog when they have uh, newborns uh, to shelters and rescues. Do you have any kind of statistics on like approximately, you know, what proportion of dogs given up are because of that reason? I don't. And that is something that I would love to have. Um, it, it is not something that um, I have statistics on and, it's rather difficult. I think um, what we'd like is for several shelters to really get more in depth in their question and intake process right. that we can gather um, and get that accomplished. But um, I just know that it is one of the main reasons, especially with rescues. And sometimes we don't even get, sometimes we don't get the full picture, right? So right. sometimes it takes a lot of detective work to ask those questions and that doesn't always happen. Um, totally. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. So, and what I would really like to know is age range as well. I mean, is it, is it, they're expecting a lot of people will wait. They, they may have stress and anxiety, but until they hold their newborn, they're not going to make a decision. Right. Yeah, and <laughs> yes. And then the other phase that I think, you know, feel and see patterning with is around that three months to four months. Now we're starting to really be able to see and envision our baby crawling and now fear sets in. And so then there's those who wait until something's happened. So there is a wide range of time 
developmental stages that I would be very interested in looking at the patterning. Um, but I'm not a researcher. Um, so if someone has a good idea on how to do that and wants to do that, bring it because I would love that information. Yeah. And that, that's definitely going to go into detail and that could be tricky oh, a lot to implement. Of, yeah. <laughs> it, it, there is a lot of detail. There is a lot of detail. And, and the questions I might ask too, you know, especially someone who has a six month old baby and turns their dog into the shelter. I have a gazillion questions for them. A ton of them. <laughs> right. um, you know, so it's an area that um, we're trying to, we're trying to get more understanding of the patterning so that we're able to really help people prevent these situations. Definitely. Um, and then something else I had in mind, um, as far as, you know, let's say you have a trainer out there and they've just received a call saying, you know, you need to fix my out my dog immediately because he did X Y Z to my kid, <laughs> um, or else, or else I take the dog no. to the shelter or you know give him away. Um, how would you like recommend a trainer just even start to handle that kind of situation? You know, I think addressing the original emotion and addressing the per- the person's urgency. Wow, it really sounds like you've hit you're at the end of the rope. Um, you know, can you describe for me what's been going on, what's happened to lead you to this point? And and just hearing them out. Because usually when they're at that point that they're like, I'm done, I can't handle it, go play in traffic. I mean, we listen, <laughs> I've been there. Okay, we've all been there. And and if you have children, I'm sorry, we have those days. Right. Um, and if you have multiple dogs, you have those days. Um, it is not easy. So I think acknowledging their emotional state where they are, validating that and saying, how did we get to this point and what can we do from this point on? I mean, if they've made up their mind, they've made up their mind. I'm not going to convince you otherwise. But a lot of times when people are emotional, it's because they haven't made up their mind. They're still stuck. They're conflicted. They're still still conflicted with with that whole thing. Mm. So if they're reaching out and calling, I've got a potential person that I can support, you know, totally. now that doesn't mean they're allowed to abuse me and be rude and be all that. We're not going to do that, but I'm happy to get into the de- the details as much as they're willing to share, but can I fix their dog overnight? No, and no one can and no one will. Um, so I, I will be very honest with them, <laughs> but I'll also be very fair and kind and compassionate. Hmm, definitely. And you, you probably so I have a um, client. It's they're the first time grandparents, right? Uh, and the, the the baby is not due. Here we are in April. The baby's yeah. not due until the end of September. Oh wow! And I've awesome. been working. And I've been working with this dog for three months now. We started in January. Um, <clears throat> so they um, they literally learned their daughter was pregnant and called a trainer. Uh, wow. Which, which is amazing. Um, but, you know, it, I, I was really interested in how they came right with their expectations of, well, when we were, when we had children, when my children were young, you know, they were crawling all over the dog and we didn't have to worry about the dog. And, you know, and so they were looking at training as how do we get the dog to be mishandled by toddlers <laughs> instead of, how do we organize and? Yeah, and I 
I think you might have dropped out a little bit, Kat. Um, that they want the dog to be okay with everyone. Idea of yes, yeah. So they were wanting the dog to be tolerant of anything the toddler could possibly do to them. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, it isn't. So I'm I'm gonna throw this back to our fault. Okay, dog professionals, because one of the things that I think we've run into is if you ask any family and just do this, you know, how did you prepare for, you know, for life with kids with your dog or what did you do? The number, there's several things that people will say right away. We grabbed his ears, we pulled his tail, we took his food away from him, we did all this stuff, which, yes, over the, over the years, trainers, professionals, even myself, we have recommended certain things. But when we start to make those certain things so broad and generalized and we start to have articles that say, get your dog used to rough handling and get your dog used to having food taken away and things like that, mm. it's kind of like the social socialization phenomena that we have now. Everybody, you know, I see people taking their dog, their new puppy or their newly adopted dog right up to the front of the school when school lets out because they're socializing. So this is where a little bit of information can go haywire and it can get misinterpreted, misunderstood. So we don't want children to be yanking. We don't want the expectation is that your dog should tolerate mishandling, as you said, cat beautifully, um, by a child. We don't, and not to mention the fact that if you have done handling or conditioning with your dog, that it's not going to be across the board for unfamiliar children or children who just happen to stumble on your dog or even that familiar baby that is moving in an awkward, unpredictable way. That is, we have to stop that expectation. Um, and we need to start to educate from the perspective of what I reference as dog wear that every stage requires new management, new learning, um, and presents itself in a visually different way than our dog is used to. And dogs rely on body language. And the body language of a newborn straight up to about three or four is going to change very quickly overnight. Mm -hmm. And that's why we run into so many problems. And so what we need to do is focus on developmental stages and what it is we want our dog to do versus what we expect our dog to do around all children or around those situations. And we need to really take into consideration comfort level of our dog, our particular dog. So what I like about these grandparents is one, they were looking for help. I'm a little curious what triggered them to actually make that initial call. And if they have concerns, um, <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm telling you, when we adopted our first German shepherd, I remembered being, you know, cuddling up with my golden retriever, laying my head on her haunches using her as a pillow, but mm -hmm. I was probably 10 and I already had quite a relationship with her. And for her, that was, that was different. But I then transferred that expectation to my three and two year olds. And that's where a lot of our family pause early images come from. And I thought they could just lay on the dog or they could just put their head on the dog. Mm, yeah. I learned quickly that shepherds are very different than goldens and, <laughs> and, and, and they're a little more, they're a little more sensitive about their space. But I also really started to question my expectations. Right. 
So I don't know if that helps and makes sense and addresses that, Kat. But um, I think we've done a little, I think we've done a good job getting information out there. People should prepare. But I think that we've done a disservice when people do general articles that are about kids and dogs and throw in the whole kit and caboodle from newborn to five. It's it's just not the same. Yeah. Yeah, this case um, was interesting in that the dog has resource guarding of found right. items. Yeah. Found items. Okay. So they, they you know, what happens if we drop them. a pacifier and what happens if we do this? What's really interesting is that we saw an increase in aggression over a couple of uh, months of working with this dog to the point where I said, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know he's seen a vet, but could we please see another vet? Um, and they diagnosed him with uh, pancreatitis and a pretty severe back injury that was probably there for at least about a year. So hopefully, um, you know, getting him feeling better all over uh, will also decrease any body guarding that he's doing and we can work, uh, continue to work. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So we all get these cases. Um, Do you take them all? If if there's, you know, the, I don't know, the 10 month old, I, I get people that like, oh, well, we have a newborn that's three months old and we have a German shepherd that's six months old. Hmm. How did you end up getting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you knew the baby was coming. Do you, <laughs> do you take them all <laughs> or are there some that you say, no, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't can't help you here. Well, I think, I think initially I want to gather as much information as I possibly can. And you're right. You know, um, if someone tells me they have a three month old baby and a six month old puppy, I'm thinking, you know, there are going to be questions I'm going to want to ask, um, you know, and, um, you know, send them to a mental health consultant. No, I'm kidding. Um, there are going to be questions I'm going to want to ask. And, you know, because there's some reason they did that. And probably they thought, oh, they can grow up together. And so many people think that. And it is a beautiful scenario to consider. It just doesn't happen like that. It's unfortunate, especially. Yeah. Um, And so I like to gather as much information as I can. If I think that it's not going to be feasible to move forward um, or there's been quite a history already or the parents if there's fear, if there's tremendous fear in the parent, one or both, then we're up against a lot of walls. And so um, if there's been a bite, see, this is the thing. If, if to me, once there's a bite or once trust is broken with one of those parents, you're on a very slippery slope. You're very slippery slope. And then I start thinking, well, if it was just a growl or a snap, is this dog rehomable? at this state and point in time, or do we wait until something really serious happens? Because at this point, the family's so scared right? and they are reactive, which is now going to maybe increase the risk to the child and to the dog's success, right? Of not working. So those are factors I want to consider. And, and then, and, and, and again, you know, it's, I'm very honest with people if I say, you know, I'm not comfortable moving forward with this case. And here's why. In my professional experience, this is what I've seen. This is what's happened. Um, so there are cases that I, I'm flat out that I'm not comfortable with that, but I'd be happy to refer them. Um, but I do make it clear that this is my area of expertise and it's it's not something. 
Oh, Sadie, it's not. <laughs> I know y'all heard that. Yeah. I do yeah. make it clear that, <laughs> that it's my area of expertise, and professionally, I I have mixed feelings about it. Um, and it's not just about the dog, guys. I mean, it's the whole dynamics. That's what makes this so intriguing and interesting to me. Is um, and that's what keeps me not getting burned out. Is I look at. I look at all angles and all factors as much as possible um, and do feel very confident that if I don't feel it's going to be safe and work out, that I've given them the best I can do in that moment. If I think there's something we can do, I'll do it. But I don't make those decisions or make those calls lightly. Mm, Yeah. And how much is it kind of up to... Uh, the owners what if you lay out um mm-hmm. you know the training plan or, or what's possible and also what are the possible consequences or risks oh. um, and you know what if they kind of back out at that point they you know don't think they can handle it and uh for them right. it's not worth it how do you how do you handle that right so if if there if there's been the, well there are so many different things that are running through my head <laughs> um to be honest because there's different scenarios right, right. so if i've got a family who their parents, this happens and this is this, and and because it's happened, um, I've changed policy, right? So if I've got a family who's got a dog who we know has issues with their child and the family, the parents, parents, just those two people are committed to a behavior management plan and working with their veterinary behaviors and we've got a whole system in place, then they sign a contract with me that under no circumstances is someone else going to be supervising their dog and their child. Period. Mm -hmm. End of story. Because I can't tell you how many times the parents will get it right Right. and they will do it. But then they have a grandparent come in or they have a sitter come in and bam, we lost everything we did. And, and now the dog, you know, did what we knew the dog would do without the proper supervision management. And we have a situation. So there are those situations. If I can't get compliance and it's a risk in a situation that is not safe, for me, and I can't sleep at night, then maybe I'm not the right person for them because the suggestions I'm making to them aren't working for them um, or are, are not something they're able to commit to. And, you know, we have those. Sometimes you have that. Um, but if it's not a, if we can't get compliance and it's a safety issue, then at some point you do have to put your foot down and say, you know what? Uh, um, and I, I want to share with their veterinarian that, I felt these were the things we needed to do to be successful. Um, A, B, and C were not followed through um, after four sessions or three sessions or two sessions or whatever it was. And I have concerns about the success and the safety, success for the dog, safety for the child, um, and the long-term outcome. So I think documentation is the name of the game here and really, really going with your gut and if it's out of your range, if kids and dogs are not your thing, call. Please call. I'm here really to support other professionals um, a lot because it's there's a lot of dynamics that um, typically you would not think of. Yeah, no, that's that's great that um, you're you're open to other trainers calling you for absolutely for, you know recommendations because that's I thought you were just saying that you know dog owners can call but um. No, 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 no. <laughs> we help a lot of dog professionals on a daily basis. Wow. Yes. Awesome. 
And I think that leads me beautifully into my last question, which is what are the top three things, either character traits or education, the top three things that a dog trainer needs before delving into this complicated relationship issue between children and parents and dogs? Mm. One of the, and this is, these are things that I look for with our educators, um, empathy, compassion, and an openness to learning. I mean, when you go into the home, Sadie, when you go into the home home environment, um, eh, sorry, Piggy's making her noises. When you go into the home environment, you may go in and you may have all the tools in the world, but you need to be prepared for anything and you need to be flexible and realize that 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 environment is giving you a story and is giving you what they can and cannot handle. And it's not going to be about protocol. It's not necessarily going to be about, um, you know, what, you know, you may have to shake it up quite a bit in order to find what works for them and take it such tiny little steps forward. And I think that's frustrating for a lot of, a lot of trainers. They want to go in and we want to get things accomplished and we want to fix and do and in these situations, a lot of it is not about that because you're dealing with a lot of dynamics that are very much out of your control, um, very much out of your control. So to me, compassion, empathy, and an openness to really, really, really staying curious about what's going on and, and not, not judgmental, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with children and parenting and all of that. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, and just uh, accepting these folks where they are. Right. And then helping them to get to the next, next step. Absolutely. Um, And I think my last question is, um, does it depend on, you know, the situation in the family or do you typically have like uh, one or one to three behaviors you want every dog uh, in a family to learn at some point? Yeah, that's going to depend on the different stage where they are. Um, If they're early in pregnancy, then certainly there's a multitude. There's many behaviors that we want to introduce. If they're um, early, like getting close to toddler time or crawling, say, three months of age and and we're approaching toddler time, then I definitely targeting is going to be one of the behaviors, you know, as far as a cue and behavior, that's going to be one of the things I want to hit right away. Um, But you know, it, it does vary. If if we've got all the time in the world to prepare and plan, then mat work is great and some of those things. It just depends on what's gonna what what they're gonna follow through with right. consistently and be successful with and have fun with. Because um, if they're not having fun, they won't do it. And then and then um, and and what's gonna be most helpful for them in the moment? I want them to see results right away. Because right. if they don't, they don't buy in. You know, so something like touch is fantastic when baby's just on the move getting, you know, that's a, that's a huge cue to, that I introduce. Um, and mat work is a great one and separation, mm-hmm. um, you know, just being a way to be, being able to be five feet away from their, their trusted adult without panicking. <laughs> is really important. Right. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's one we tackle right away. Yeah, essentially not being the center of attention anymore. <laughs> right, right. It's hard. It's hard. Oh, man. Awesome. 
Great. Well, it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Um, do you have a website or online resources uh, you'd like to list? And, and we'll also include those sure. in the blog post um, that accompanies this. But go ahead and let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, FamilyPause.com is our website. And um, we also have YouTube. You know, if you look under FamilyPause, YouTube.com slash FamilyPause, you'll find a ton of videos. Um and we are having our conference in 2018, July 27th, 28th, here in Raleigh. Dr. Friedman will be one of our main speakers, which is, um, well, she is our main speaker, but we do have a lot of other awesome people presenting as well, and certainly invite and welcome everybody to please schedule that. It's a nice specialty conference. Small, intimate, love it, um, great folks, so that's we're knee deep in planning that. Awesome. So that's in 2018, correct? Yeah. Okay. July 27th, 28th, 2018. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely include that in the notes uh, on the blog. All right. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. It's thank been you. a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me and inviting me. Hi everyone. This is Ines McNeil. I just wanted to stop in real quick and say thank you to everybody that's been listening uh, either for a long time or you've just tuned in. It's always a pleasure to have you. I wanted to take this time to say definitely check out the blog. Um, I've been adding a lot of new material up there, new blog posts, but also new courses. So I have a 12-week business course on how to start up your own dog training business, as well as a DIY SEO course for dog trainers. And of course, you're always welcome to join my Facebook group, Startup Tips for Modern Dog Trainers. We've got almost 900 members, and we'd love to have you participate too. Thank you for listening to the Modern Dog Trainer podcast. Don't forget, you can check out the show notes at themoderndogtrainer.net slash podcast. You can also share your thoughts and support our podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. Until next time.